Come along with us as we explore the broad world of preservation and the work being done to preserve, interpret, and save our past in a 21st century world. From aquaculture to historic foodways to forensic modeling, we're talking weekly with experts from across the globe. This is your host, Nick Redding. Welcome to PreserveCast. Welcome to PreserveCast. This is a Trades Takeover episode with Natalie Henshaw, Director of Historic Trades for Preservation Maryland. And today I have with me Melanie Weston, the General Manager for Historic Restoration Inc. in Providence, Rhode Island. Melanie will be a featured speaker at our American Historic Trade Summit, our inaugural one. And that is from June 12th to 14th this year in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, welcome, Melanie. Hi. Thanks, Natalie. Absolutely. So Melanie, in addition to being the general manager of um, Historic Restoration, Inc., you have a master's from Clemson in Historic Preservation. You did a main preservation internship in window restoration with Bagala Window Works in Maine. Mm -hmm. You worked with Historic New England as a facilities manager, and then you moved on to general manager of Historic Restoration, Inc., right? Yes. Yeah. Heritage restoration. Yes. Oh, what did I say? Historic, right? Yeah. <laughs> close. Yeah. It's the same so thing, close. Yeah. yeah. So many words, so many acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for <laughs> correcting me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's go into detail about that. Uh, Why did you go to Clemson for a master's in historic preservation? What drew you to it? Um. Honestly, so I got a bachelor's degree in history and I was always obsessed with history as a kid. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left my bachelor's program. I took a year off and I was working in a bakery and I tried archaeology and I thought about archival science. Um, I honestly just did a litmus test online one night and I was and historic preservation popped up. And I had no idea that that was even a career option until I took that litmus test. And to be frank, I didn't want to keep working in food service and I didn't want to teach, which is ironic considering now I teach um, partially. And so I decided to go into historic preservation. So that's why I ended up going to South Carolina, uh, to Clemson and called to Charleston to get my master's. Me, yeah. me. That is like <laughs> a very <laughs> similar path I took. Yeah, bachelor's in history. I was like, I don't know what to do with this, and I don't want to teach, yep. and I don't want to be in food service anymore. <laughs> right? I think it's pretty That's common. Like, yeah. yeah, and then I get the I didn't know historic preservation was a possibility till I started doing yeah. some career searches. Uh, well, what made you decide on Clemson? Were you from South Carolina? I had never been there in my life. I'd driven through like once, but I never really been to South Carolina. Um, but I'd also gotten to University of Vermont, which I thought that was a great program. Um, but in my bachelor's degree, I'd gotten in California and I was originally from, I grew up in Maine. I'm a eighth generation Mainer. Um, and I always kind of wanted to explore outside where I was from more. Um, I grew up on a farm in really rural Maine and there wasn't really a lot of opportunity to kind of see the world. So after spending four years in California, I still kind of had that wander bug, I guess. So the idea of studying historic preservation in Charleston in a really historic city uh, was very appealing, somewhere I'd never been, somewhere new. So 
I chose Clemson. And did you get any hands-on skills while you were there? That's the great thing about the Clemson program is a lot of the professors are also tradespeople. Um, people like Mark and Francis Ford, who are actively conservatives, conservators or actively um, working in the trades as contractors. So you get really that hands-on experience, seeing job sites, learning how to slake lime, learning, learning how to uh, repoint a building. So I think that's really an important part of the curriculum is even if you don't know how to do it fully, you know how it's supposed to be done right. So that's right. part of the reason that really drove me to the Clemson program. Right. And after that, then you went back to Maine Preservation and did their mm-hmm. internship program. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. Um, the Maine Preservation internship was really great because you spend half the time working with them in kind of an office setting learning about kind of in like easements and their most kind of endangered list and doing things like that and working with the community and also doing um, things like going on site visits. And then the other half of the time, they put you into a partnership with a local trades group. And I was lucky enough to get connected with Begala Window Works. So I spent a few months with them really learning the entire window restoration process. So it was a great summer of really getting a really wide view of preservation. Um, and it was also nice because I got to go home. Again, I'm a Mainer. Yeah, so it yeah. was very, very interesting to kind of go back um, and be able to see that dynamic really up close and personal with what preservation was happening in my home state. Yeah. And you said you got to do the easement work for yeah. your family homestead, right? <laughs> yeah, that was really kind of a shock. Um, I'm from Madison, Maine. Um, my family, my last name, Weston, uh, they have a home there. I actually grew up in my, the home I grew up in was built in 1817 and it's been in my family since it was built. But the homestead, the Western homestead is two houses down from where I grew up. And it was owned at the time by a family corporation because my like fourth great grandfather had over a hundred grandchildren. So it was owned oh by my. about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of kids. That's so he grew up, so it ended up being owned by a corporation of my cousin's. And they had decided to sell it, um, the farm, the kind of forest and the house, which was built in the 1780s. And I was aware of it being sold, but my first day on the job at Maine Preservation, they kind of dropped the bomb that Maine Preservation was responsible for creating the easement on the house and also writing the real estate ad and doing all this stuff. And they're like, so you're a Weston, you're going to have to do all this. And it was more personal than I think I would have liked to have gotten right right out of the gate. But it was definitely, it felt like a coming full circle in my career because I got into preservation because, you know, I grew up that, that kind of saying in preservation, too poor to paint, too proud to whitewash, always really stuck with me because I grew up on a farm in rural Maine. And that was kind of the ethics of where you come from. You fix stuff yourself, you get it done. And so having gone into preservation to kind of preserve my own family's heritage and my own family's farm and being like, okay, we'll figure this out. And then your first real job in preservation and you're selling your own family's farm is, it was interesting. (laughs) A lot right out of the gate. That is a lot. What do you think the value of having that mix of experience was, you know, learning about more the administrative side and doing some real world projects that way? and also the trade side. Um, Yeah, what was the value in that? 
I think it really taught me how to look at things from both perspectives as both the client um, and as the contractor, which I think right. has really served me throughout my career, whether it was working at Historic New England or working at Heritage. Um, it really taught me to listen to people, um, which is, I think, something that's definitely lacking throughout the trades and um, both academic preservationists. But I think it also taught me that some of these conversations around preservation, really, I think the disagreements happen just because of a difference in language, um, almost, that's right. being used. Because, um, again, I think really, especially when you're talking to homeowners, um, the language that we use in preservation can be so confusing. Yeah, And I think especially with the difference between the trades and more academically trained preservationists, we all have the same goal, but sometimes we're just not speaking the same language. Um, and I think there needs to be better bridges built to really achieve a goal and to kind of achieve more of a connection. That's a great insight. Cause like you said, that we do all have common goals mm -hmm. and there still exist differences. So especially that insight, just even the language and understanding each other is really interesting. Do you yeah. think that internships like this where you get a little bit of both would be one of those ways to help that you have training in all these aspects so you can speak the language, you can kind of code talk with your different audiences? I think it would. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it would because I also think too, I was living um, there with other kind of preservationists and training from across the country who I still maintain connections with. And I think that's extremely valuable. You know, right. Right. I think it's also extremely valuable for places like Maine preservation to get interns to from across the country to come and serve these more rural communities. I also yeah. think too, that um, we were talking the other day, me and you uh, with someone who helped create the Maine preservation program. Yes. And every single person who has gone through that program is still working in preservation. And I think that's a testament that these types of programs work. Yeah. That's a really great ratio. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. 100%, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud uh, to be one of them. Yes. Yes. So uh, what was your first trades project? I know you mentioned in Clemson. Did you get like a full-fledged project there? Or was it when you worked with Begala? So my first trades project was actually, uh, while I was at Clemson, I was also an intern there uh, oh. for one of my professors, Francis Ford, who owns a restoration company called Ford Restored. And I was her intern for cemetery restoration. Oh, so okay. I worked with her for two to three years um, as her intern and it was at St. Philip's Cemetery in Charleston. <laughs> and uh, I remember distinctly, we were working mostly on box tombs. And there was one that had like sunk completely into the ground. So it was just the slab on the ground. And she, we pulled the slab off and she needed someone to get in there with a chisel and just chisel all the cement out. But as soon as we pulled the slab off, it was just cockroaches, like climb, like thousands of them. And she's like, someone's got to get in there and do it. And I was like, well, I guess I will. <laughs> I was the only oh my one gosh. wearing boots and full <laughs> pants. So I was like, okay, it'll be me. The sacrificial. It was disgusting. Yeah, I was like, I'll oh do gosh. it. And within three years later, I was the only one left from that day. It was like, it was good money. It was a good experience. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It this was a good experience. Podcast. I learned repointing. Yeah. I learned stucco. She was a great teacher. She was 
Frances too. I got to give her a shout out. She would like, she would show up in white pants to do masonry work in the cemetery and like not get a spot on her. That's and meanwhile, good. I'm like covered in dirt. And I was like, <laughs> terrible. She was so impressive. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then you've got like masonry and cemetery experience. You got window work. Um, what trade resonates with you the most? It seems like you have an eclectic mix, but like what, what <sighs> speaks to you? What speaks to me the most? That's yeah. hard. I I don't know if I could choose one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it's like picking up your favorite building, right? <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> like I don't know. I think I love window work. Um I think windows I've worked with the longest and I know the most about at this right. point. But I do love masonry. Um mm-hmm. I also have a deep respect for plumbers and electricians. Um, and I just also have a deep fascination with historic plumbing. So there's that, but I think it's also this thing of like every single component makes a house move. So, but I think window work is obviously my baby right now because I'm the chair of the window preservation centers collaborative. So (laughs) yeah, gotta say that out of default, (laughs) which we do need to come back to actually. We'll talk about that in a little bit and uh, so people can know what it is, learn about it, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do at Historic New England? Did you move straight from the internship into that role? I did not. So I, um, I finished my, um, senior, like my, not my senior, but my thesis for Clemson. And I stayed in Charleston. I was working about three different jobs all in preservation, um, with Historic Charleston Foundation, Emerson Austin Olsen House and also with Francis. Um, and I just applied for a job at a store in New England on a whim. I didn't think I'd actually get it. And they called me up to Boston for an interview and they asked me to be a preservation manager for some of their house museums and also the Eustace estate, which at the time they were working on restoring. Um, and for people who don't know, the Eustace estate is in Milton, Massachusetts. It's an aesthetic mansion. Uh, extremely beautiful. Great example of the aesthetic style. But at the time, they just finished the design on it after they purchased it to kind of turn it into a house museum. And it was a very large mansion with a few outbuildings that they had to completely... They would turn from a private residence to a museum. So that included new septic, run new data lines, completely refinish the interior and the exterior, turn the gatehouse into a central location office for historic New England, turn the garage into a visitor center. It was a lot of work. Um, And they needed someone on site to kind of just be their eyes and ears on site for the restoration and make sure everything was getting done right. And I'd applied for another job with them and they're like, well, how do you feel about this job? And I was like, well, you do realize I just graduated from grad school. (laughs) And they're like, we talked about it. So they put me on that job and I did it. And two and a half years later, it nearly killed me. I'm not going to lie. And I almost left construction because of that job. I almost left construction. So do you uh, want to dive into what the difficulties were or do you feel comfortable talking about that? I think the difficulties were that I was not prepared to go onto a job of that magnitude or a job site period by my training. Um, My graduate program was predominantly women. Um, And no one really ever told us 
yo, you're going to face misogyny. People, once you get on a job site, no one Mm -hmm. cares how many degrees you have. Nobody cares what your training is. No one gives a crap. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. And it was not good. Like I wish someone had told me and give me some warning and they didn't. And so immediately from day one, it was me and 50 men. And I was supposed to somehow command authority in that situation. And my bosses and the architect and the designers were only showing up once a week. Yeah. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. And nine months into that, after complaining about five times about what was happening on site, um, I had to pull the cliche moment of putting myself between the house and a backhoe. And like, it's the like most stereotypical preservation move you can make. And it was hilarious in retrospect, but not worth the year with a therapy after. Oh, so wait, wait, are we talking like a metaphorical backhoe? No, nope, are you I'm talking, talking about literal you literally? Backhoe. I'm oh talking my literal gosh. backhoe. Yeah. Wow. Literal backhoe. So, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I stayed at that job to make sure the house got finished and to make sure that the project was done. And I will say that Historic New England has, there's some people who I've come out of that project really admiring. And there's some, Historic New England has some of the most amazing properties of any nonprofit in the country and some of the most amazing employees. Um, and they did do a lot to change their structure after that incident. Right. However, and, I think it speaks highly to issues we have as nonprofits in preservation and the way we treat women in the field of construction. Yeah. So, and there was an instance where you had outside contractors come in rather than yes, like self-performed staff, right? Right. No, I would say none of the staff from Historic New England whatsoever, they did nothing to have my back. Um these were all very large construction firms. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that is a Difficult interaction in so many different ways. I, I know we've talked about this some, just you and me personally before, but there's so much of my own experience that mirrors what you're saying. And I know other women in preservation and construction that mirrors exactly what you're saying. I was also thrown onto a site without training about how to be on a site and expected mm-hmm. to command authority and yeah. just really left out on an island. Um, and it was it was just really difficult, and you've also worked for food service, and it was just a very different experience. Because, like I in food service, I experienced some very outright direct sexual harassment, and I yeah. didn't really experience that on construction so much, which you know kind of goes against what you would see in stereotyping, and uh, I don't know what you see in like movies or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it was I've, I've just never had so much my competency, my knowledge, and my abilities questioned at every level purely because I identify as a woman like not Mm -hmm. because I wasn't experienced not because I made mistakes but just purely based on my appearance you're like well you obviously don't know what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) right yeah every day too every day and it's just constant my favorite was always this would always make me laugh I would literally schedule an appointment with someone whether it's like an HVAC person or a plumber and they'd show up and be like, I'm looking for man's name. And I'm like, no, I'm the person who made the appointment with you. And they're like, you can't have possibly, it has to be a man's name. I'm like, okay, let me just go put on a fake mustache for you. What do you want from me? I literally called you. (laughs) Maybe that's what we do need to do is just pull out the mustache. 
<laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you? God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so silly. It is. It is. And one of the things I've found to help is a group of women here that we can talk about with some of these things, but I guess forward facing said so what we've experienced is not unique. And no, some of the things we've thought about is mentorship programs. Like, yes, I would love that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cause when I started my own business and went out, I got into some situations. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was able yeah. to call somebody and be like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> and that one-on-one conversation was more valuable like 30 minutes of that than these three months of a business class I took. That was valuable. But in that moment, that ability to talk to somebody be like, should this be happening? Am I crazy? <laughs> Am, I crazy? Am I crazy? Yeah. And them saying, absolutely no, uh, politely go screw that person. <laughs> you know, it's, yes. it's so helpful to have that to bounce off of. So do you think that in it would have been very valuable to you in those positions to have a mentor to help talk you yes. through this. Yeah. I would agree. And I did I did have a mentor on at Historic New England, Colleen Chapin. Right. She was I would not have stayed as long as I did if it had not been for her. Really? Um yeah, I a thousand percent. And when I left to go to Rob Cagnetta at Heritage Restoration, I will admit she encouraged it. Um she has been nothing but supportive of my career thus far. And that's what I mean when I say there are some amazing people at historic New England who I wouldn't have stayed if hadn't been for them. And the collections team, the visitor um, experience team at historic New England, they're amazing people. They do amazing things on those properties and I appreciate them greatly. So they are amazing people and they're very talented but I think, again, I think this speaks to a larger system-wide issue in the field of preservation. And it is that disconnect of language, right, of people who are kind of planning these projects don't understand what's happening on the day-to-day on site. They don't really see it because they're not there. They don't have yeah. to be. They come yeah. in once a week. They don't get what's going on. So it's just, again, this kind of disconnect and we need to do more to close that gap. Yeah. So in addition to a mentor, what do you think would have helped with that? Would have been exposure? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think exposure and just, I think for me, maybe being more exposed to that in my training, Mm -hmm. I think also, I I think about this quite a bit um, as I'm doing trainings now, as I'm kind of teaching students. And I realize that with a lot of my female students, I'm happy that I can be kind of an example to them. Right. Um, but I also really think that I can be an example to my male students in that no one is teaching these men going onto job sites that this behavior is not acceptable. Right. And someone needs to be telling them this. It's not just about teaching women that they need to act a different way in order to get respect. It's about teaching men that it is 2023 and this behavior is no longer acceptable. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but you can't, you like, you don't get to throw your hard hat at someone and have people laugh. You don't get to abuse your employees and like yelling and screaming in people's faces is not a way to communicate. Like it's not, it's 2023. We can communicate like adults. Like, yes. like and 
we can do this. We can be civil. And I'm not saying that's just men that do that, but it is a continuous kind of attitude in the construction industry that we can, we can stop that. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, never was yelled at until a job site. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. I had, because again, like food industry is pretty similar, but like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The food industry. And mm-hmm. I like, I grew up in a big Armenian family, so I kind of get it. But like, also like you don't need to, this we're professionals here. Right. We can right. act like it. Yeah, and it's not to say it doesn't happen in other industries, but there is a mm-hmm. culture of it in construction yeah. that's just really hard to root out and makes it very uninviting to the uninitiated. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. And I've had those moments too where I'm like, is this worth it? Like, I don't yeah. like being screamed at because they oh, made yeah. a mistake. Right. Oh, and yeah. When we have a job market like this, we need to change, like, we want to make this field attractive to people. And exactly. if you say, come in and get abused, <laughs> like, exactly. it's not and very I think, attractive. <laughs> I think especially for, like, non-traditional people yeah. who are, like, queer or who are women, like, you yeah. already, we're already expected to work extra hard to constantly just have to prove ourselves yeah. to people. It's the most tiring thing is whenever I show up somewhere, and less so now that I'm with heritage than I was at historic New England, but every subcontractor I met, they expected me to prove myself to them just to get respected. Why should I have to do extra work just to get an estimate out of you? Like if I was a dude showing up who knew nothing, you would immediately, you would give him an estimate, no problem. But just because I'm wearing lipstick, Mm -hmm. like, come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so, like you said, there's, there's some pervasive stuff. And yeah, we can, I don't know, there, there's definitely like the window world. Yeah. Not the business window world, but <laughs> the window <laughs> preservation world mm-hmm. uh, it is definitely skews a lot heavier with uh, women trades people yes. and women business owners than general construction. I love it. <laughs> I know. And I think that yeah. is one of the reasons it's so inviting is because yes. there isn't that same culture at all because it's so I don't want to say it's niche but like the business side of it is tons of people have historic windows but it it was very easy to carve out a different culture from just general construction in that world I think yeah it's very lovely it is I think (laughs) that's why that's why I've started to I think after leaving historic New England I felt a lot of comfort in that sphere Yes. And within that space that really just felt safe. Yeah. You didn't have to prove yourself literally yeah, every minute of the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. It felt very, yeah, it felt nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your transition then to Heritage. Did you start out as a general manager? No, I actually started out as the window shop manager. Oh, yes. okay. So I started out as the window and door shop manager. Um and then I moved to operations manager and in December I became the general manager. So I didn't realize it was that recent. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So tell yeah. us about your typical day. Are you doing windows and doors now? Are you doing more like client visits and things like that? I'm doing more um, like project planning and development. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of building surveys with clients, kind of help them figure out their priorities for their buildings and how much they can spend. And do they got five years on this? Do they got seven? So that's been really fun kind of getting to know clients. Um, I'm also doing a lot of designs for like 
this is crazy. I don't know. You know how sometimes projects like come in waves or themes? Yes. Right? (laughs) I've got like three different houses all in different towns right now that all have vintage like original 1910s bathrooms. And they're just like, my heart is so happy for it. So uh, they want to keep all of them. So like restoring these vintage bathrooms has just been a dream of mine. And it's just, I got three of them right now. So that's been fun. So kind of helping people pick design stuff and figure out remodels and pricing for that. So I'm doing a lot of estimating, a lot of project development. Mm -hmm. Um, But Rob kind of phrases it in the way that I kind of keep my pulse on the kind of emotional heart of the company. Um, I do a lot of HR stuff. I kind of figure out reviews uh, for our employees. I do hiring and firing um, and just kind of make sure everything's staying okay. Like I do all the ordering for the shop stock supply, make sure everything's staying okay, vehicle maintenance, things like that. So just kind of make sure everything's on board and then estimating on top of that and just make sure everything goes okay. Yeah. Do you think that all of your education experience prepared you for that or what did you have to learn on the job when you got there? Um, most of the things I had to learn on the job was really management, um, Mm -hmm. how to manage people, how to effectively communicate with people in a way that they could hear, um, in a way that helps them be better at their job, you know, um, and help them grow in their job that I did not learn in school. I don't think you can really learn that in school. Um, And I don't think there's an effective way to train that in this field um, unless you take a class in it or something. And if anyone has a class, please recommend it to me. (laughs) I bet Val Vides knows of one. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But besides that, I think everything else has come in really handy. I wish there was a way to really create an estimating course for historic preservation. Tell me about it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I yeah. do. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But you just, it's, you can't because every building is different. Like, so hard. You, yeah. It's so hard. So, mm-hmm. but besides that, I think the inherent knowledge of how to look at a building and understand how it ticks really comes in handy. So, mm-hmm. and also just the inherent knowledge of the craft. And I do think the lessons I learned from Historic New England of basically being the owner helped me understand approaching owners better um, right. from a general general contractor standpoint. Um, and also the kind of jack-of-all-trades trade knowledge I learned um, of kind of having my hands in a lot of different pots really helped me to be more efficient at training tradespeople and also uh, working alongside them. Yeah, and having that literacy in the different aspects of the building, like you said, that knowing the, yeah. how the whole system functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also talked about, which I find interesting, hopefully listeners will too, (laughs) (laughs) this idea of feedback. And when we look at trades training, you continue on. Like you said, there's just some things you cannot learn in an educational system or Mm -hmm. an internship, and it just has to be on the job. Yeah. And how do we effectively provide feedback to people in training or new Mm -hmm. employees? And then also, how do you receive it? Because I think about myself and I did not receive feedback very well in the beginning. And I think it's because I had to prove myself all the time. And so any Mm -hmm. feedback was seen as questioning if I was capable. And so it it was a sensitive area and it still can be for me because you're 
again, it's just like constantly in that you have to prove yourself state. Um, and I just wonder, you know, what, because you train, you teach, you're in charge of HR in your dream world. What would you see as that system? If there is one, <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, it's funny because I'm developing a new, I don't, it's not new. I'm not developing it. I think I stole it from the corporate world. A friend of mine who works <laughs> in the corporate world actually suggested it to me. Um, because we're starting to grow a lot more. And when I say grow, we have 19 employees. It's not huge by any means. We're not consigli, but it's a large operation for heritage. And right. we just realized we're not very good at that. We're not good at giving feedback. So I'm looking at starting the 360 review, which is basically you have the your manager review you, but also your peers and also, if you have people who work oh. like kind of below you, who you manage, having them review you too. So you're getting feedback from a oh. kind of 360 degree look. And you have to be receptive to it, right? Like if the person's right. not receptive to hearing the feedback, they can't grow and take it in and learn from it. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping that that will give our employees kind of a better overall feel. And it'll help us as employers really see the clearer picture of what's going on with our employees because we just, we were crap at it. I will admit like we just, <laughs> we were crap at it. We were yeah. crap at it. So we're hoping <laughs> to get better. And I'm really, I'm really hoping that doing this 360 review process will help. But if any, if any, please contact me if anyone has any ideas, because this is something <laughs> we definitely struggle with. This is something I definitely struggle with too, personally, like taking feedback is harsh. Like <laughs> even from, even on my own projects, you know, when I, when people like pictures get posted online, oof, I didn't even I start talking about Valentine women. <laughs> heartbreaking. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if I would feel the same in a, a different avenue. I don't know if, it, if you've experienced this as a teacher, but, um, especially like with semester coursework and mm -hmm. I taught at Savannah Tech and at the end they have students send in a review and I was more receptive to that, but I think it's because it was also acceptable for me to be a teacher. And so I didn't feel like I did have to constantly prove myself as a teacher. Oh, right. <laughs> right. And so the feedback, right. even if it was negative, I was like, oh yeah, I can work on that. Like, that's a good point. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Cause right? there's not the same type of imposter syndrome, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Um, I know there's more to it than that, but uh, I know at least me personally, like that's one of the reasons when I first got in, it was so difficult. And I also think that training programs are set up to say, now you've complete, you're, you're qualified to go into the world. And I was not, mm -hmm. <laughs> I still needed a lot of practical training and the education was very important, but I didn't know how to hitch up the trailer. I didn't know how to use the pressure yeah. washer. I didn't know mm -hmm. how to... Uh, order and maintain supplies and inventories and you know just yeah. these like not educational aspects but just very real practical um well I do think too there's this common practice within the trades of letting people just just throw them in feet first and it's like trial by fire <laughs> yeah trial by fire and like even Rob I love you bless your heart like you know I'm talking about <laughs> you right now. because sometimes Rob he will be like, they just got to learn. They just get trial by fire. And I have to reel him back sometimes because I know that's how I learned. 
that's how I think everyone my generation and older has like learned. And I think I even when you talk about being a woman in the trades, a lot of older women will be like, well, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. You just got to get over it and deal with it. But even this trial by fire mentality, it's like, are we creating decent employees by doing this? Are we creating well-trained employees by doing this? Just because they're tough does not mean that they're going to be well-trained and know how to do what we need them to do. Right. And they may, they're, it's also going to burn them out. Do yeah. we want people who are burned out and anxious and tired and can't freaking hitch up a trailer? Come on. Yes. <laughs> Just train them or they're going to get in a car accident with the truck. Like, right. God. Right. Yes. I, I love that because, yeah, I feel the same way that I think a lot of what we have institutionalized is because mm-hmm. people went through it and said, like, well, this is how it's done. And it's not to say it's invaluable, but sometimes there are better ways, especially more inclusive ways. Like if you just have people trial by fire, you're only going to get firewalkers. And people who don't have an interest in firewalking are not going to come out. And to provide training support does not mean that they are incapable. Yep. And it's kind of seen as that. And I don't think it's a, what he said, it's not just like Rob. Again, it's a cultural thing because that's yeah. just what has existed before. So yeah, I feel like there's a lot more stepping steps that we can put for people rather than having to make them climb over this cliff and scramble up and do ninja yeah. warrior to it really, it's, it really is. Feels very it ninja really warrior. Is. Yeah. It very is. It's like Oh, a painter of mine has this joke. He's like, I do, had to do some kung fu moves on this job. I'm like, but did you have to? Or is that just like the old school talking? Like, right. come on, guys. <laughs> I like the metaphor, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, then let's talk about too about your experience teaching. Uh, you teach with the Window and Workforce Training Program with Profit yes. Preservation Society. But then mm-hmm. you also said you taught at Roger Williams? Yes, I did one yeah. semester there in their uh, graduate program. Mm-hmm. I taught a building and materials course, which was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. The students were really great. They're mostly architecture students. Oh, okay. Um, but I helped develop the program with Providence Preservation Society for their window and workforce training. Uh, it's an annual program we do once a year. And this is the third year we just wrapped up. And it's been really rewarding. So the point of the program is to take un- or underemployed Rhode Islanders and teach them how to maintain and restore specifically wood windows. Uh, But we also teach them business skills um, and entrepreneur skills, and also um, general historic preservation education and theory. And it's really to kind of get them engaged within kind of Rhode Island preservation. And I think there's an 80% employment rate that we have so far. That's great. (laughs) It is great. We've gotten a lot of good employees ourselves. So from like a bias standpoint, as also an employer, (laughs) it has been fantastic for us. Um, And also just to really engage with the community. We've done a lot of work within the program to kind of reach out to homeowners to have the students do work on their homes. Um, So it's been really good. I think the most satisfying moment I had in the class this time around is I like to lead walking tours as I'm teaching Mm. um, of the local neighborhoods. And I had one student really say, I'm never going to look at a building the same way again. And if that's all I get out of my students for the class, I feel rewarded. You know, that's the whole point. I want them to be able to read their environment differently and appreciate it. So it's really satisfying. 
Don't you love making historic window snobs? Like once you teach them about yes. historic windows and they yes. start seeing the vinyl replacements, they were like, oh God. The best <laughs> is when you teach them about the shutters when they're uh, on upside down, they'll never unsee yeah. it. And you know you've just ruined their whole life. It's the best. Oh, <laughs> dig it. Yes. Love, love having our converts. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> indoctrinate them. That's what I always yeah. say. I'm going to indoctrinate you. Be prepared. <laughs> I say proselytize. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm feeling it. I love it. Yes. Church of uh, Historic Windows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how has the program adapted over the three years? You know, you said you're on your third year. What changes have you made in response to <sighs> feedback it's all listening to feedback it has all been listening to feedback and I think that's so important because in my opinion really it's really about for the benefit of the students like if they're not getting the most out of the class then what is the point of doing it you know it's really about making sure they are learning as much as they want as possible so the first year was during the middle of COVID it was October 2020 so we were mostly learning outside we were really breaking them apart into small groups to do the hands-on. Um, so it was really difficult. So the second group, we did it a little differently. We broke them up into two groups. Um, and then the last one was, I really think, the most successful because we also hired Jess Pollock, who is, I believe it's Providence Window Works. Check mm, her out. She's amazing. Right. Um, super talented. She kind of managed the admin part of the entire class and we could not have pulled off such a great class without her. She is fantastic. Um, and it really helped the instructors just focus on teaching and it really made such a huge difference. But we also, during the class, uh, we were able to get feedback from the students. We had such an engaged group of students who were like, we want to know more about X. We feel like we'd be more valuable learning about X. So we were able to cater our teaching to them and what they felt like would be valuable to them. And I think taking that feedback and giving them what they feel they need is really important. You have to be willing to take that feedback and really teach to the student. So, Right. Yeah. And how long is the program? Is it 12 weeks? It's six weeks. So it's not... It's not very long, but they do go through the whole restoration process. They do a few windows by themselves. And honestly, we have two students from that class who are in our shop now. And Julie and Bunny, we are extremely happy to have them. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you said you added in Jess Pollock. How many people did it really take to execute? So there's you and her... Uh, Christopher Heon teaches the hands-on side of things. He is with Von Heon and Daughters here in Providence. He was a former employee of Heritage. Mm-hmm. And so it would take me and him, we do the main instructions, but there's also, I feel terrible. I'm forgetting her name. But PPS does most of the um, historic preservation side of things. Oh, okay, so okay. PPS really, PPS, they get the money to hold the program. So they did, this time around, it came from federal funding to do the program. So Providence Preservation Society, they are such a huge part of really, they do all the work to get this set up. And right. if there's a bunch of people in their office, it would be impossible without them, both instructing, kind of adminning, getting the money. And also uh, there's another partner that we have involved in this and they are um, Dorcas. And it is, uh, sorry, I'm just looking up the name here so I don't butcher it. Totally understand. 
It is Dorcas International Institute of Rhode Island, and they really help with finding the students and providing kind of some of the business skills that we can't really do with helping with resumes and outreach and things like that. So the old adage, it takes a village. (laughs) (laughs) But really, like you said, if you want these programs to be comprehensive and student oriented, it it takes a lot of administrative work, a lot of pre-planning. Yeah. And Um, finding the funding is so important. Always, always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, let's also then talk about the Window Preservation Standards Collaborative. Yes. What is it? (laughs) What's going on with it? What should listeners know about it? So the Window Preservation Standards Collaborative um, is the entire point of the group is to publish the Window Standards, uh, which is a book that really kind of highlights the correct standards for historic window preservation. Uh, We are trying to publish our second edition, which should be out this fall. We also hold the Window Summit, which is a conference that kind of gathers window restorers for a week to kind of, again, highlight those best standards. It's a great teaching and learning opportunity. We hold it at Pine Mountain, Kentucky, which is a really rural settlement school in Kentucky in Harlan County a great spot to really just kind of hang out with window restorers. And if you've never been to a window conference, it's such a great experience being surrounded by like 80 other people who are equally as obsessed with windows as you are. There's nothing <laughs> quite like it. There's nothing right. quite like it. And it's just such a great experience to learn other techniques that you've never seen before, to see other tools you've never seen before, to just really experience so many ways that people do things from across the country, different styles of glaze, different types of hardware, different types of glass that people use. It's pretty wild and it's so fascinating. So that's going to be coming up this October and we are holding that from October 3rd to the, or October 8th to the 13th and registration will be open in June. So if you want to come say hi, I will be there. Maybe with my dog. I haven't decided if she's coming or not. What? She's got to go. <laughs> she's we'll a preservation dog. <laughs> she preservation is. She's pup. a shop dog. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I know. We should have a conference just for the shop dogs. Oh my gosh. That would be fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yes. Um, I have not been to a summit yet, so I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, oh, that's going to be so fun. I know. Winter Preservation Alliance that was this last year. That was very fun. Like you said, that was it great. Was great. Yeah. You know, anytime you're with a whole bunch of nerds that share the same nerdiness, it's wonderful. (laughs) Literally the best. It is. It is. And from those conferences, like you said, I've learned random techniques that are so helpful, Mm -hmm. like fast mutton repairs, like just how to Frankenstein a rabbit. Mm -hmm. And that you don't have to totally redo the mutton. I was yes. Like, Gosh, that's huge. It's the best. My <laughs> yes. favorite thing I learned at the last summit was the crisscross roping method. Have you seen that? No, but I've heard of this. It's so easy. I can re-rope a window in under like 10 minutes now. Like get my oh my, my time was three. I did three minutes with that method. Yeah, oh my that's gosh. my it's okay. amazing. We need to do preservation Olympics. So there's already yeah, yes. a palooza, right? And then we gotta do the re-roping one. Oh, we should yeah. do that. We should gotta get a bunch yeah. set up next to each other and be like, okay, go. Yes. <laughs> Love See it. One with cord, one with chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Oh, I would lose the chain one. Really? Oh man. Yes. <laughs> uh I thought chain was difficult until we did a house call chain. And now I I might prefer it. Really? Yeah. I know. I know. That's so interesting. (laughs) 
I dislike most though the sash cord with the metal in it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it has yeah, that, with like, like the little hooks. How come? Yeah. Oh, not the hooks. Like it is like metal rope surrounded really? by. I have never seen this. You got to send me a picture. There's some supplier, but we had a house that had all of that and not a fan. That's not so crazy. I've literally never seen that before. I Oh, Ugh. God, I got to knock on wood because I don't want to run into that. Sorry. I might have talked it up to the universe and now more people want it. <laughs> but <laughs> let me advise against it. Please <laughs> use it. it. You have to have a whole separate cutter. Like you can't use it, tradi- you know, just a knife or a blade. You, you can't, can't use You have sex? to get a metal cutter. Yes. Really? Yeah. And then trying to actually tie the knots with it is <gasps> horrendous. Yes. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Why would someone invent that? Because they think that the sash cord is not enough because they break. And so this they one just never use break. chain. I know, I know. That's silly as hell. I know. It's one of those modern weird inventions. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like spiral balances. Yes. Or... Don't even. Don't even. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, with the vinyl tracks, they're the mm-hmm. worst. They're oh the worst. no! Oh no! Yeah, for real. And Savannah with the historic district, there's so many historic homes that have those wooden replacements, but with the spiral balances. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our work requests came from those to fix them, and we're like, mm, it's just not worth it. Yeah, because sorry, it has the right. It's got all the new window that or wood that's already rotten, and then yeah. you can't. Can't fix the spiral balance. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Like just epoxy it at this point before until you can afford to replace it. Yeah, and if you can't find the spring, oh, I'm talking about spring balance too. But yeah, if you can't find the spring, the right length or width, then you just can't. No, you can't do anything. Terrible! It's terrible. Yeah, they're awful. (laughs) Now we're just getting (laughs) uh, getting high and mighty. In our church of historic windows. <laughs> it is. Okay. So we'll have you at the summit also. You'll be on a panel mm-hmm. about employer perspectives because you are also, like you said, the hiring manager for Heritage Restoration yes. Inc. Yes. And our goal of the summit is to talk about lots of things that we already did. What do training programs need? Uh, what is the student experience like? But also that last connective, how does that transition into employment? Um, mm-hmm. so everything you've said, <laughs> you have such a like valuable experience If I was trained in this, I had experience in this, it didn't prepare me for this. <laughs> yeah. And now you're on the flip side of being an employer. So how has that felt now being in that seat? Like what new perspectives has that given you? Um, it's felt incredibly, um, what is the word I'm looking for? I would intimidating is not quite the right word, but I would say intimidating, I guess, is closest. Right. Um, because I guess having a lot of negative experiences with work culture um, makes you feel somewhat beholden to make sure that isn't repeated by the people who look up to you to kind of create the work climate at a company or help yeah. kind of navigate that. So it's a lot of pressure in a lot of ways, you know? And so it is intimidating to kind of hold this place of power over people's lives and their livelihoods when you're hiring or when you're firing people. Um, But it's also a business decision. So kind of holding those two things equally true is hard. So I think 
my biggest hope in creating different policies for the company is really just to make sure our employees are getting the best chance they can to really forward their own careers. And whether that means they choose to stay at Heritage to do that or to leave to go to another company, it's really giving them the best shot um, at having the kind of highest quality life that they want, whether that's staying in the trades or not. And that feels like, again, like a lot of pressure. Yeah, but but it's good. It's definitely good. So I hope I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> it does. It does, and um, similar experiences once I started hiring people, and it, like you said, it's a level of pressure that you didn't fully expect, but it makes total sense. Like you said, it's people's livelihoods, it's their experience and knowledge, and what they're going to get out of it, and mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's a lot. And you don't want to be flipping about it and you want to try and no. pay it for it and make it better. But um, it's <laughs> hard to change the whole culture of construction too. <laughs> yeah. You can only kind of, Bob really voices it as like, we have our little bubble, Yeah, you know? And I think our bubble kind of extends into the people we choose to hire to work with us, our subcontractors and our clients. We have definitely um, turned down clients who we're not meeting kind of our own ethics of being either, you know, to be perfectly frank, we had a client last year who said pretty overtly racist stuff in front of me and we turned them away. But I think we can create our own bubble of safety for our employees and for our clients and for the people we work with. But you're right. We can't change the entire system. We can just change our own little worldview. And I think we're pretty safe within the realm of, restoration and preservation but the entire climate all you can do is kind of look within your own corner make your bubble (laughs) yeah make the bubble yes and I think when people see that it is possible and there are good examples it's going to help perpetuate it too because a lot of the excuses are well this is the way it is well it happened to me doesn't mean that's the way it has to be and you know the number one thing when I left for like when I almost left construction was if I can make this better for one more woman after me, if she does not have to go through what I went through, then I will stay. Um, and that's all I can hope for. That is all I can hope for. So, and there's definitely been moments where I hope that's been the case. Um, I hope I can be a mentor for my own employees. I hope that if they come to me with an issue, I will listen I will right. not disregard it. And I never will let them put their safety above a building, you know, or before a building. I will never right. let them do that. And that's all, it's all I can do in my little corner is protect the people who work for me. And Right. Yeah. And that's why people want to work with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Right. <laughs> let's make sure that continues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's transition to some, uh, more lighthearted wrap-ups. Do you yeah. have any favorite or must-read traits or preservation books? Mm. Or podcasts Ooh. or videos, anything like that? Ooh, let's see. Well, okay, my current favorite, and this is not a book, but it's a website. Yeah, oh, What is it called? The APT. Uh, so the Association for Preservation Technology, their freaking mm-hmm. Building Technology Heritage Library. Yes. If people have not been yes. on that, I use that thing weekly. Like, let yes. me tell you. I literally, we just finished preserving a linoleum floor in a client's house. And I found the catalog for that linoleum floor on the APT building technology hair library 
So I knew it wasn't asbestos. I knew what it needed to be sealed. I knew how to maintain it. That thing is golden. I found like original like bathrooms in there that I needed to find. Like I'm on there weekly scoping out stuff. I, I've gotten tattoos from that place. Like, yeah, love it. Love it. Love, love that website. I couldn't live without it. Yes, I 100% also endorse it. It is a fantastic resource. Yes. Um, for fun and for work. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then I know you said it would, you would not be able to choose, but do you have a favorite historic place or site? Oh God, that's so hard. I know. That is like, fa- <laughs> that's like picking a favorite child. Oh no. Um, a favorite. Be- we'll do a favorite. A, okay. Probably a favorite is Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Ooh. If people have not been and you're coming up to the Northeast and want to do a day trip up to Boston, highly recommend it. It's astounding. I told Rob once, I'm like, if I got a job there, I would leave you to go work at the Gardner. And he was like, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> Love the Gardner. It's my favorite probably museum of all time. It's amazing. Is it historic, like a historic garden? <laughs> It's a museum. So this crazy woman from like the late 1800s, she decided she wanted to build a palace in Boston to house her crazy art collection. There's also a great heist story that happened and the paintings are still missing. So yeah. Like an art heist. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like totally worth looking into. There's like a Netflix documentary. Great story. So, and there's a reward for the paintings if you find them, y'all. So yeah. Still active. Yep. Yeah, look, look into it. It's great, like late night Wikipediaing. Yeah, <laughs> Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. It's a fantastic museum. Such a beautiful spot. Got it. Got it. Um, and if people want to follow up with you, window preservation standards. Yeah, Summit. Where can um, they find you? So they can find. Let me see here. Did I write this down? Um, so I am on Instagram at melanie.joe. That's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, but if that's mostly, if you want pictures of my dogs or memes, you can find me on there, but also lots of historic photos and travel photos. Uh, you can also find me at, uh, window preservation standards on Instagram or window preservation standards collaborative on Facebook. Also, I'm one of the admins of the window, um, restoration pros group on Facebook. So you can say hi to me on there too. Always say hi. Um, and also you can follow us at heritage restoration, one word on Instagram as well. You can pop over and say hi. So many avenues, so many, so many avenues. (laughs) I'm everywhere guys. (laughs) Just gotta, just gotta go out and find. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a scavenger hunt. Where's Mel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mel, thank you so much for joining us. This great conversation. I'm very excited to continue it at the summit. Yeah. Um, and the Window Preservation Standards Collaborative. Uh, is that also a summit? It is, yeah. isn't it? Two yes. summits in one Two year. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and then onwards into the future. But thank you so yes. much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening, and keep on preserving.